question to uh, start you off this morning. Have you ever had a uh, moment where you realize it's over? It's, it's over. It happened uh, with me and Salami this week. It's, it's over. I don't know if you've heard, but uh, now Jen Skolsig, our resident nurse practitioner, is going to be all over me after this, but you've heard it said that uh, in middle age sometimes when you eat processed meats that are high in nitrates, it causes you chest pain. And I thought about you, I was like, she's going to say, that should not be causing you chest pain. So I'll let you know how that goes. But um, I realized it's happened a few times now where I eat salami, which I've loved my whole life, and my chest starts to hurt. So I was like, oh, that's it. It's over. It's over when it comes to me and salami. We are finished. Uh, it's also over with me and running more than 10K. I don't know if you've ever run. Oh, well, let's see a survey. How many of you ever run more than 10 kilometers? Put your hand up high. Don't be ashamed. Yeah, that's impressive, right? It's difficult, though. Nikki and I were training for the Around the Bay race in Burlington several years ago, and I never actually raced in it because I injured myself training. But uh, I got as far as routinely running 17 kilometers. And uh, let me tell you, 17 kilometers is a very long way. And I'll never forget the day when I realized that's it. I'm never going to run more than 10K ever again. Well, maybe I will. Well, no, I think I'll never run more than 10K ever again. When it comes to me and 10K plus, it's over. Also, I'm done with Speedos. And everyone said, you know, amen. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> Funny, there are a few photos of me at the grotto uh, this past week. We were up in Sable Beach with the Browns, and uh, we drove up to Tobermory and uh, swam in the grotto. And man, that water is as cold as your mother's heart. I mean, that is just crazy. Um, you caught that one, right? It's my best joke. Um, use it wisely, though, and sparingly. So, 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 so cold. And uh, I was a little dismayed to see that in some of the photos, I do not look the way I feel. <laughs> and so <laughs> I'll be eating a little more salad in the coming weeks. But I gave up Speedos years ago. Um, it's usually little boys and European men who wear Speedos. I don't know what it is with uh, Europe, but when you go to Europe, you'll notice that Speedos are still en vogue in Europe. And I say, thank God my forefathers and foremothers emigrated when they did. When it comes to me and Speedos, we are done. We're over. More seriously, perhaps, you've experienced a relationship, you realize it's over. That's a dark moment. It's a difficult moment. It comes to all of us in varying degrees of severity. Maybe you've had the moment where you realize my life is over. And not necessarily physically, although some of us, you receive a diagnosis that gives you an expiry date. Hugely sobering. My life is over. Maybe you've experienced a cataclysm that is so severe that that's how you're left feeling. My life is over. So fortunately for all of us, some um, tofu-eating, power-walking, man-shorts-wearing fools, uh, Jesus' crucifixion story has some serious hope embedded in it. It's found in Mark chapter 15. Reading from the English Standard Version. And as soon as it was morning, the chief priests held a consultation with the elders and the scribes and the whole council. And they bound Jesus and led him away and delivered him over to Pilate. And Pilate asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus answered, You have said so. The chief priests accused him of many things. And Pilate again asked him, Have you no answer to make? See how many charges they bring against you. But Jesus made no further answer, so that Pilate was amazed. Now at the feast, Pilate used to release for them one prisoner, for whom they asked. And among the rebels in prison who had committed murder in the insurrection, there was a man called Barabbas. The crowd came up and began to ask Pilate to do as he usually did for them. 
And he answered them, saying, Do you want me to release for you the king of the Jews? For he perceived that it was out of envy that the chief priests had delivered him up. But the chief priests stirred up the crowd to have him release for them Barabbas instead. And Pilate again said to them, Then what shall I do with the man you call king of the Jews? And they cried out again, Crucify him! Pilate said to them, Why, what evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, Crucify him! So Pilate, wishing to satisfy the crowd, released for them Barabbas, and having scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. The soldiers led him away inside the palace, that is the governor's headquarters, and they called together the whole battalion, 600 men. And they clothed him in a purple cloak, and twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on him. They began to salute him, Hail, King of the Jews! They were striking his head with a reed and spitting on him and kneeling down in homage to him. When they'd mocked him, they stripped him of the purple cloak and put his own clothes back on him, and they led him out to crucify him. And they compelled a passerby, Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country, the father of Alexander and Rufus, to carry his cross. And they brought him to the place called Golgotha, which means place of a skull. And they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. And they crucified him and divided his garments among them, casting lots for them to decide what each should take. And it was the third hour when they crucified him. And the inscription of the charge against him read, The King of the Jews. With him they crucified two robbers, one on his right and one on his left. And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, Aha, you who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself and come down now from that cross. So also the chief priests with the scribes mocked him to one another, saying, He saved himself. He saved others. He cannot save himself. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, come down now from the cross that we may see and believe. Those who were crucified with him also reviled him. We remember that the one thief asks for mercy later, but we forget that first he mocked him. And when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. At the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani? Which means, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And some of the bystanders heard it saying, Behold, he's calling for Elijah. Elijah in Hebrew is Eli. Elijah, Eli, Eli. And someone ran and filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink, trying to prolong his life, saying, Wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to take him down. And Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. The curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Somebody say hallelujah. And when the centurion who stood facing him saw that in this way he breathed his last, he said, truly, this man was the Son of God. There were also women looking on from a distance, among whom were Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James, the younger, and of Yosef and of Salome. When he was in Galilee, they followed him and ministered to him, and there were also many other women who came up with him to Jerusalem. When evening had come, since it was the day of preparation, that is, the day before Shabbat, Joseph of Arimathea, a respected member of the council, of the Sanhedrin, who was also himself looking for the kingdom of God, took courage and went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Pilate was surprised to hear that he should already have died. And summoning the centurion, he asked him whether he was already dead. When he learned from the centurion that he was dead, he granted the corpse to Joseph. Joseph brought a linen shroud and taking him down, wrapped him in the linen shroud and laid him in a tomb that had been cut out of the rock. And he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, 
saw where he was laid. Mark 15. We see here today 12 questions connected to how Jesus died that if you answer them correctly can change how you live. That's what's in store here. Question one, will you be loyal to the system or to Jesus? This is what's at issue in verses one through five. Pilate asks him, are you the king of the Jews? This is what's at issue here. Will you be loyal to the system or to Jesus? I'm thinking of that silly YouTube video that my kids showed me. I'm not going to be part of this system. Right? I threw it on the ground. You can have that kind of attitude when it comes to serving the world or when it comes to serving Jesus. Which system are you going to bow the knee to? And Pilate asked him, verse 2, are you the king of the Jews? Question for you, is Jesus your king, or does some other system rule your life? You see, Jesus' claims to godness were a direct threat to the Jewish religious system. And why is this applicable to us? Because Jesus' claims to godness are a direct threat to whatever system you happen to be serving under. It's not just ancient Judaism that Jesus threatens. He threatens rampant materialist consumerism in Guelph of 2019. Here's the point. If Jesus is really the king, what system in your life is going to need to bend the knee? And yes, this may um, entail a blow to your self-actualization. Which leads to question number two. Are you willing to play second, third, fourth, fifth fiddle. This is what's at issue in verses 6 through 15. You see, Jesus was more popular than the religious elite. This is why they envied him. Pilate knew it. He said they gave him up because they envied him. Why did they envy him? Because of his popularity. Drawing crowds of thousands. And they saw clearly that this popularity was going to undermine their authority and that of the Jewish religious system. For he perceived, verse 10, that it was out of envy that the chief priests had delivered him up. Very awesome point coming up here. Pay attention. The word for envy is thonos. Thonos is the word for envy, and it means jealous energy that energizes, here it is, with an embittered mind. Thonos. Jealous energy that energizes with an embittered mind. Here's the priority structure my parents who are here this morning taught me to live by. Jesus first, then your spouse, then your kids, then yourself, then your job. Jesus, spouse, kids, self, job. One, two, three, four, five. I learned it from my daddy. I learned it from my mama. And they lived that way. The question for you is, in my case, are you willing to be seventh fiddle Jesus, Nikki, Jordan, Sarah, Sammy, Zoe, Daddy. And let your career come eighth. Do you see how upside down this is from the way most people live? I told you, it's a very important point. If you're not willing to play seventh fiddle, your life may become characterized by jealous energy that embitters. Hopefully in someone's mind, you just went right? Because how many bitter people do you know 
who keep buying self-help books, who keep going to self-help seminars, keep trying to figure out how to put number one in the number one spot and achieve everything they were meant to achieve. They do all those things and they take all those steps and they buy all those products. And they may be successful, but how many successful people do you know who are deeply embittered? Is this profound or what? It's right out of the Bible. Phonos. Jealous energy that energizes with an embittered mind. You know what people need? People need to meet Jesus and get used to a demotion in the fiddle department. Christianity is about downward mobility. Again, stealing that from my father, under whose preaching I sat most of my life. Downward mobility, not upward. I must decrease. He must increase. Christianity is not about self-fulfillment. Get used to a demotion in the fiddle department. You're going to need to decide, point number three, will you mock the way of Jesus or resolve to being mocked for following it? This is what's at issue in verses 16 through 20. Let me read to you verses 15 through 20 here. So Pilate, wishing to satisfy the crowd, released to them Barabbas. And having scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. Such a matter-of-fact thing. Scourging, right? Cat of nine tails ripped the flesh from his body. More often than not, prisoners who would scourge would die just from the scourging. Scourged him and delivered him to be crucified. The soldiers led him away inside the palace that is the governor's headquarters. They called together the whole battalion, 600 soldiers. It's quite a big deal. Clothed him in purple, twisted a crown of thorns after he's been scourged, forcing him to stand. He can barely breathe. They forced his crown of thorns onto his head. And I know the thorns in Jerusalem. I used to make um, arrows for my blowguns out of them. <laughs> Big, long thorns, like that long. And when they cut you, it stings. I don't know if they have like a venom in there or some kind of, must be some kind of, uh, what do plants have in them, Josh Bites? It's like a, a sap. They have a, they have a sap that makes, like, it's like you're being poisoned. It's crazy. It stings. So here he is. He's been scourged. They're putting this crown of thorns, forcing it into his head, and then they're beating him with a reed on that head, like driving the crown into his head. And they're spitting on him, probably in his face. And they're bowing the knee to him in mock homage. Hail, King of the Jews! When they'd mocked him, they stripped him with a purple cloak and put his own clothes on him. They led him out to crucify him. Flesh torn from his body, thorn-crowned head, beating him about the head with a stick, spitting on him, bowing to him in mock homage. The whole battalion mocking the King of Glory. And I have to say this to you today. Many mock him still. We were at the Browns Cottage this week. My son, Sam the Fool, and Zito Max, which is the name for Max Brown. You can't call him that, though. It's my name for him. Chilling on the couch, eating Fruit Loops, which is what you do at the cottage. Unless you're me and trying to fit back into your Speedo. No more Fruit Loops for you. It's over. It's over with me and Fruit Loops. They're watching The Simpsons. We don't watch The Simpsons in my house. Why? Because I've turned it on too many times, and within about six minutes, I count it, they're insulting Jesus. This time it's Ned Flanders. He's such a, I can't even say the word in church. He's such a jerk. Everything he says is despicable. And he's the token Christian in The Simpsons. And what's the writer of The Simpsons doing? I know, because I used to write TV. You know what he's doing? He's making mock of the King of Glory through the laughably lovable but annoying personage of Ned Flanders. Many mock him still. You're one click away 
one question away from seeing it everywhere. So what do you think of Jesus? Many of your friends, neighbors, co-workers, and peers will think Jesus is a ridiculous myth, a fairy tale character. And that's speaking charitably. Here's the question. How many of us live our lives a little less loud than we know we should when it comes to our allegiance to Jesus for fear of being mocked? Can I invite you to throw caution to the wind this morning? Can I invite you to taste and see that the Lord is good this morning? Can I assure you that once you allow your fear of the esteem or the lack thereof of others to leave the station and you get on the Jesus train instead, that you will find that a very fulfilling way to live. Even if it costs you everything. Verse 21, And they compelled a passerby, Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country, the father of Alexander and Rufus, to carry his cross Hold on to this point. It's going to come back to bite you in just a second. Point number four. Will you take up your cross and follow Jesus? This is what's at issue in verses 21 and 22. This is why I read to you an invocation this morning. Jesus himself speaking about the importance of taking up your cross. He said to everyone, if anyone would come after me, let them deny themselves, take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a person if they gain the whole world, but lose their soul? Take up their cross daily and follow me. Here's a Christian ethic. Okay, This stands, of course, in stark contrast to the one we've just rebutted, that of self-improvement. Here's a real Christian ethic. Alright, here we go. <clears throat> Let's die to self today. Where's Jesus at? That's how you live. You wake up, you're like, all right, let's die to self today. Where's Jesus at, though? Because I got to go where Jesus is at. I got to copy him. In order to copy him, I got to see him. In order to see him, I got to follow him. Once I find him, I'm going to do what he's doing. All right, let's die to self. Where's Jesus at? And yes, that means that the question that follows will make perfect sense. Point number five. Will you learn to embrace pain? This is what's at issue in verses 23 through 28. And they offered him wine mixed with myrrh to drink, but he did not take it. Verse 23. Verse 28. 23, 28. Verse 23. Why is this a big deal? Because wine mixed with myrrh was a mild narcotic. It was given to those about to be crucified to numb them. You'd think he'd take the drink. But he refuses it. Jesus enters fully into the pain he's about to experience. In our highly anesthetized culture, we forget that pain can have a purpose. The pain that Jesus is about to experience as the Father lays upon him the iniquities of us all, as you'll see in a moment, will be literally breathtaking. As you copy Jesus as one of his followers, I want to invite you to embrace the pain of the world and the pain that is inside of you 
because Jesus did. You're thinking maybe embrace the pain. You ever met anybody whose default is, I want to embrace the pain of the world. I want to embrace it. Nobody says that. We want to shun it. We want to do away with it. We want to numb ourselves to it. The way of Jesus suggests that we ought to embrace the pain of the world. And here's the best thing I've written in the last five years, at least in my opinion. Yeah, embrace the pain. Yes, literally. Hug it. Have you forgotten that to embrace means to hug? We've come to think that to embrace the pain means to suck it up. No, it means literally give it a hug. Embrace the pain. Hug it. The, the way of Jesus entails a little less avoidance, a lot more hugging. A lot more hugging. And six, uh, no more prove-it-to-me kind of faith. None of that. Verses 29 through 32. Those who passed him by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, Aha! You who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself and come down from the cross. So also the chief priests and the scribes mocked him to one another, saying, He saved himself. He saved others. He cannot save himself. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, come down now from the cross that we may see and believe. Those who were crucified with him also reviled him. Come down now from the cross. Remember Hannah's Messiah? He trusted in God. Let him deliver him. Let him deliver him if he delights in him. Come down from the cross that we may see and believe. All right, here we go. Rapid fire now. He already cast the demon out of the dude in Capernaum. He already healed Peter's mother-in-law. He already healed a whole bunch of people who were oppressed and sick that one nice evening when he was hanging out by the side of the Sea of Galilee. He already cleansed the dude with leprosy and he already healed the paralytic with the four homies who lowered him down through the roof. He already healed that guy's withered hand on the Sabbath and calmed the storm. He already cast a legion of demons out of that miserable wretch who lived on the eastern shore of the sea. He healed that sweet lady who wouldn't stop bleeding. He raised Tali, the daughter of Jairus, back to life. He fed the 5,000 and then he walked on water. He healed a whole bunch of, in a crowd in Gennesaret. And then he healed the Gentile woman's demon-possessed daughter. He healed the dude who was deaf-mute. And then he fed the 4,000. He healed the blind dude with the trees at Bethsaida. Remember that? And then he healed the epileptic boy. And then he healed blind Bartimaeus. And then he withered the fig, withered the fig tree in Jerusalem, man. He already done proved that. You had me a hello. I believe. Do you? I believe already. I believe already, will you? You see, friend, now as Jesus goes to the cross and ever after, it is the time for judgment, not proof. He already done, did all those things. Now's the time for judgment. When the sixth hour came, judgment comes. And there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried out, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. Which means, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And that's probably the moment when the father turned away from Jesus because he had become so disgusting as the sins of the world throughout all time were laid upon him. And God the Son, Jesus Christ the God-man, realizes in this moment that it's over and it makes him scream. Eli! Eli, lama! Lama sabachthani! 
Why hast thou forsaken me? Now is the time for judgment. So friend, point number seven. Will you accept that the atonement is truly finished? And Jesus, verse 37, uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. In the other gospel accounts, what does he say? It is finished. What is it is finished in the Greek? In the Greek, it is tetelestai, except Jesus didn't speak in New Testament Greek. He spoke in Aramaic, and this is going to be amazing. I hope this puts a smile in your heart. What did he say in Aramaic? Mashlem. 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 What does that mean? It's whole. It's at peace. How do I know? Work with me here. Mashlem, from the root shalem, which means whole, from which we get shalom, which means peace. <laughs> because of and only because of what Jesus did, you can have peace. For the chastisement for our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are what? We are healed. Mashlem. It's whole. So, will you join Team Jesus in light of that? Point number eight. This is what's at stake in verses 38 through 41. Will you join Team Jesus? I want you to notice that the gospel spreads. It's hinted at in verse 21. I told you to hold on to the idea. They asked Simon of Cyrene to carry his cross. And then there's this little interjection. It might as well be in parentheses. The father of Alexander and Rufus. Why is this awesome? Because Mark was writing to the new believers, the first Christians living in Jerusalem, and then it had spread by that point up north towards Antioch, and it was just starting to spread into Asia Minor. And so he's writing to people who knew and understood the parameters of the early church. And so he says, when he's accounting the story, that they made this dude, Simon of Cyrene, carry the cross. Remember? The father of Alexander and Rufus, which means that Alexander and Rufus were probably members of the new church, which means that Simon of Cyrene, who carried the cross of Jesus, probably came to Jesus after his resurrection and led his sons to Jesus after his resurrection. And they probably followed him so well that they were known in the Christian church after his resurrection, such that Mark made sure to write down at probably Peter's urging to remind the people that this man who carried Jesus' cross was the father of two boys who grew up to carry it also. The gospel spreads. How do I know? Explicitly I know because the centurion who watches the death of Jesus upon his expiration says, surely this man was the son of God. He makes a profession of faith. How do I know the gospel spreads? Because the women who had followed him in Galilee were standing at a distance, eyewitnesses to his death. The gospel spreads. They were on Team Jesus. Simon of Cyrene ended up there. I believe the centurion ended up there. The women from Galilee were already there. Are you? Do you belong to Jesus? Do you not need a Team Jesus t-shirt because it's already tattooed on your heart and alive in your actions? Point number nine, will you keep looking for the kingdom bravely? And point number ten, will you get up close and personal with the king of glory like Joseph of Arimathea did? It says he took courage to ask Pilate for the body. And it says that he then went alone, maybe with one friend, and took Jesus down from the cross. 
Imagine the state Jesus' body was in when Joseph took him down from the cross. You want to talk about getting up close and personal with the king of glory. Joseph of Arimathea would have had to take a bath that night, not just because Shabbat was coming, but because the remains of the king of glory were soaking his body. We're talking that kind of up close and personal. Will you keep looking for the kingdom bravely? And will you get up close and personal with the king of glory? And just like Jesus was already dead, verse 45, when Pilate learned from the centurion that Jesus was already dead, he granted the corpse to Joseph. I want you to notice that the king of glory, the author of life itself, was now a corpse. He's a corpse. And if you've ever seen a corpse... You know, there's nothing glorious about a corpse, especially this corpse. Jesus was really dead, just like Jesus was really dead. Feel this point. Will you really, this is point number 11, die to self? Think how messy Jesus was. Think how awful his death was. And use that to fortify yourself next time you quail at the cost of death to self. And even when it seems like it's over, like the women who followed to see where he was laid in verse 47, point number 12, I love this one. I love every point in this sermon, but I love this one. Like those women, will you keep following Jesus even if it seems like things are over? Worship team, y'all better run to the stage. I sure hope so. I hope you'll be loyal to Jesus, not to the system. I hope... You'll get comfortable playing seventh fiddle and that you will resolve yourself to being mocked because Jesus is worth it. I hope that you will take up your cross daily and follow Jesus, learning to embrace your pain and that of others with many hugs and that you'll forsake every last urge you have for God to somehow prove himself to you. I hope you'll finally accept peace because it is finished and that you'll join team Jesus and keep searching bravely for the kingdom even though it will make you messy and you know what it won't even bother you though because you'll be dead to self and you'll be following Jesus even when it seems like it's over I hope all these things because as my friends you will see next week when it comes to you and Jesus this story ain't over this story is just beginning beginning